Our disappointment with Superman had turned our trip to Metropolis into a slog. Our concern with how he was treating Lois had mounted when he told us he had come up with a solution to deal with her and his old flame, Lana Lang, for good. As we rounded a corner, he presented two new faces to us, each one a blast from the past. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Okay, we're finishing off The Man of Steel today, and these these stories were a bit more involved and a bit more of a slog than last time, if if I yeah. may be so bold as to, uh, you know, say. Uh, Joanne, I'm going to try my best to make this as short as possible, but there's kind of a lot of convoluted stuff, but also I've, like, cliff-noted a lot of this, so it's going to be, you know, a thing, and then it's not going to be a thing. So, last time we left our hero... This is this is midway through Supergirl being his secret weapon. Um, he's still kind of dealing with Bizarro, Mr. Mixia Spitalik. Um, Brainiac returned, and then he tossed him back into the past. Um, Luthor has kind of resurfaced as a recurring villain. That's kind of where we're at with Superman now, in the middle of the nineteen of nineteen sixty one. So we're going to start speaking of at Action Comics number two seventy six, May nineteen sixty one. A man who is faking his own death uh, uses his dying wish to Clark Kent to say, like, you know, I know you're Superman. I've, I've collected enough evidence. Please just reveal that you're Superman to me. It would make me so happy on my deathbed. And Clark, the sucker, um, does it, shows that he's Superman. The guy's like, oh, thanks, and then pretends to die. Clark leaves. We find out this man is the secret head of the anti-Superman gang, which is such a stupid... <laughs> It's it's level it's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants levels of like maybe perhaps find a different name for your gang. My favorite thing is that every made up uh made up isn't the right word because of course it's all made up, but every one off like villainous group that gets brought up in any of these stories have the same kind of overblown, over dramatic names. It's like it's it's wrong to say that they're wasted on these kinds of care on these kinds of groups because it's not like they're that great of names anyways, but so much drama packed into a single throwaway appearance. Yeah, it's it's quite a, it's quite a bit happening. Um so the the trick here is that the guy is faking his own death using a, a the fumes of a serum that a doctor gave him that the doctor's like, "You know, remember, this could give you hallucinations, so you sure this guy Superman?" He's like, "I'm positive." I've never been more sure about anything in my entire life. And they begin to torment Superman, going like, we know your secret identity, and Clark figures out that he's like, mm, this is probably an issue. But he finds out about the hallucinogenic gas that, you know, has a side effect. And as they are trapping him with kryptonite, he sends a message to Kandor and Supergirl, who begin to basically gaslight all these criminals into thinking yep. that they're hallucinating. Uh, because of the gas and their proximity to it. And they realize that like maybe this old guy was probably lying because they're seeing a Supergirl that they've never seen before and tiny little Supermen. The Kandorians have a Superman squad of men that look exactly like Superman, but they're tiny, of course, because they're Kandorians. And now that they're on Earth, they have the Earth gravity powers. So it's kind of funny to... like. There's a little sequence of like a giant Supergirl fighting tiny little Supermen. And that's like what the cover of the issue is. And that's really not even like what the story is about. But these guys go like, wow, we must be really high. <laughs> it's basically how they 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 
convince these guys that Clark Kent is not Superman's secret identity. And it works. And all these guys get put in jail. We're going to see some pretty major stretches to fit the uh, cover into these. Yeah. It's very clear that they were making the cover idea separate from the story idea. Yeah, a, a lot of covers of, for these are are um, pretty much almost outright lies as to what the story's about. <laughs> they're they're clever misdirections, um, like because the 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 cover art for the for that issue is Supergirl fighting a ton of Supermen and the Kandorians looking on in horror and like, oh my god, this is a terrible fight. And you're like, oh my god, like this Supergirl like get kind of miniaturized and becomes like a kaiju in Kandor. Like, what, what could possibly be the situation that, that occurs here? And you're like, oh, it's all fake. And also the Kandorians aren't there. And what is... Oh, okay. Like, these are almost outright lies. We're going to move on to Action Comics number 277, June 1961. Um, Luther breaks out of prison. And we get a tour of his lair, which I think is the first honest-to-God secret lair we've ever seen. Maybe. Like, like lair with a capital L. We've seen hideouts. Yeah. Hideouts definitely, which is just like, this is where we're sitting for a while. Or like, you know, not Lair to me is like, it's the bat cave, but for a bad guy. So I think one of the key qualifiers here is we do see him go reference the Lair one more time in the stuff that we read. If it continues to be used, then I think we ha- we can call it a Lair. Yeah. If it if it's, really yeah. is just like the two off, meh. If it's a recurring location... I, I believe it is a lair. I think that's a qualifying feature for a lair is a recurring location in which a villain keeps trophies and or develops supervillain equipment. I think mm-hmm. we can we can safely say that's probably the the, the definition of a lair. Um, but this is Luther's lair. It's in an old abandoned museum. You have to shake the hand of a Caesar statue outside uh, to get into his little criminal empire. And he's got all sorts of stuff like mannequins of great criminals, Genghis Khan, uh... What else? Captain Kid, things like that. Uh, Al Capone. Uh, Al Capone. And there's someone Tilda else Hun. That I don't remember. Tilda Tilda. Hun. Yeah, Tilda Hun, Genghis Khan, Al Capone, and Captain Kid. Um, and just a bunch of like you know, news clippings of his fights with Superman. And um, he basically develops a, a machine that, that releases different types of kryptonite into little like spheres, and he's gonna trap Superman with it. And he basically he does so, but he finds out later that the Superman he's fighting is only a Superman robot and he's pissed off about it. He goes, it's not a true victory. So he just gives back all the gold that he steals and is now free. He's, he's on the loose, but uh, he's also pissed that he didn't get to one up the actual Superman, uh, which is like kind of a waste of time. <laughs> it's kind of a stupid story. Honestly, like waste of time is going to be a recurring theme because oh, yeah. as cool as, as much as I kind of, like the idea of the lair and some of the bits are kind of cool it's uh i don't have written down how many pages it is but it's several pages of describing the lair and showing it and then the rest of the action has absolutely nothing to do with any of that there's no like oh this is woven back into the a plot it's just and now a digression yeah this issue is specifically set up to introduce you to lex luther's villain lair in the museum uh, Superman number 146, July 1961. Superman's life story, literally. Uh, it's just a retelling of Superman's life story. If you didn't understand what was going on with Superman in the last 146 issues of Superman, or the last 145 issues, per se, which is, 
I don't know, 12 years of comics. <laughs> if you weren't paying attention then, I guess you haven't been. Um, here's a refresher. But we kind of get a little bit of a retcon here where we see Jor-El um, being ridiculed for the first time for his belief that Krypton was going to be destroyed. We've never seen that in the past. We had just seen that Jor-El had predicted that. We had never seen people going like, ah, you're full of shit, Jor-El. You crazy, you know, crank. Um, so the, the, the mythos around the L, the House of L, is starting to build with regards to Jor-El being a scientist that nobody really believed in. Um, and his relationship with Zor-El, Kara Zor-El, Supergirl's father. Um, and the Kents, you know, we see him with his time with the Kents. Presumably we'd be seeing that a lot if we were reading Superboy. But at this time, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, this is them with the Kents. Fun fact, I actually had this thought the other day because I was listening to Jay and Miles explain the X-Men and they were talking about naturalized citizens of the X-Men and how few of the X-Men are actually U.S. citizens, but they live on U.S. Mm -hmm. soil. Clark isn't born on U.S. soil. However, as an infant, he is found by an orphanage and probably given citizenship because there's no documentation for him. So at that point, I bet they would give, they would turn him into a ward of the state, which would then give him citizenship. Huh. And then after being adopted by the Kents, he'd also probably be a citizen. So... It I don't know. Presumably, Superman is actually a, nat uh, a not a naturalized, but rather a, a a citizen of the United States. But it doesn't matter because later, after after you know multiple years pass in this retelling, we see we see Superman being given citizenship to every major country in the oh, world I by the UN. God, that was the yeah yeah. There was that moment. So it doesn't even matter that Superman isn't from Earth. He's an, he is a he's a citizen for literally every country that was able to that that agreed to do that to him and he says but my allegiances lie with america but also thanks appreciate it uh second story is uh superman creates basically a time paradox yep. <laughs> uh this was really random and strange um he sees Lori lamaris his you know ex mermaid girlfriend and She's like, yeah, man, it sucks that Atlantis is underwater. And he's like, I wonder if I could fix that. Goes back in time, stops Atlantis from being sunk, and then begins to trounce through history and stop things from happening. And then he even goes as far back as to stop Krypton from exploding and realize, or no, getting everybody off of Krypton. And he's like, oh my God, but there's me as a baby. And now I'm here. And, uh, and then the world starts to like fall apart around him. So he has to leave and goes back in time to the present and realizes that nothing's changed then goes uh, and like realizes that he's made essentially like a parallel earth through his actions. So basically what you're saying is he's <laughs> trunks. Yeah. Or I would have uh, for the, for the less DBZ initiated uh, the new JJ Abrams, Star Trek films, mm. yeah, yeah. which they legit say is a parallel universe and, or, you know, multiverse universe um, in the first movie of those. So, yeah, um, because he tries to go to that universe and like it just like nearly shatters around him. And he's like, but in my like in this time frame, I haven't done that. But then when I go back over here, it, I have done it. And it's a kind of I don't know, it's 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 a very it's not a hard to follow complication. But because time travel and multiversity paradoxes aren't really well written in the Silver Age, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you kind of know the gist of what they're saying. 
but because they don't have the vernacular to describe it because it hasn't really been invented yet you're just like uh, yeah multiverse you made you made a mul- you, you made a parallel dimension got it 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 really is fascinating to think about how much of how many how many storytelling possibilities are opened by the codification of tropes and the repeated exploration of them like the fact that you could just put on like i could just put on a goatee and people would know oh mirror universe it's it's very strange watching early artists and early writers and early creators kind of make those tropes you were talking about i think in the last episode about like ai you know the robot the superman robot like feigning fear and stuff like that and whether or not that meant that the robot could feel fear Mm. um and not really being able to credit uh the Superman writers with that actual leap of AI. And right here, I'm like, I can't really credit you with like time paradoxes, <laughs> but like also that's exactly what you just wrote was a time paradox. Mm-hmm. But like you didn't quite, but also like you kind of did. It's very, it's, it's, it's fascinating to kind of see the, the baby fumblings of really complex tropes that will be forever used in comics. And it's also interesting, like, not so much in this medium, although, actually, yeah, in this medium as well, uh, but the fact that when people break that ground in one style, it can later, the stories with those elements can then be told with a focus on different things, like, all of the all of the stuff that uh, Asimov does, that's just like, hey, Let's talk about uh, here's here's a spaceship that is just shooting straight through uh, the solar system and we have to get on and explore it. Or actually a better example is Larry Niven's uh, ring world. And it's like, okay, now we have the idea of a ring world, like gigantic from a predecessor species. And then decades later, we have Halo, which is mm-hmm. exactly that. But okay, let's talk about the the cultures that discover these relics. Uh, let's talk about wars that are puny in comparison to these giant relics. Um, and then here you have like uh, time paradoxes, and then years later, those are going to be huge plot points in yeah. bigger emotional focus stories. It's literally going to rewrite the entire universe for DC. It's just going to literally change how their entire situation works, which is, again, bonkers to think about. So moving forward, um, we're going to go to Action Comics number 278, July 1961. Perry White, Superman's editor at the Daily Planet, is infected by an alien plant that gives him powers which he then turns himself into master man which is just a benign superhero because he wants to help out superman and later he slowly starts to become more and more evil as the plant creature takes hold of his consciousness and they try to kill superman um but we find out hey new type of kryptonite by the way white kryptonite white kryptonite kills plant life on a planet and both supergirl and superman use white kryptonite to kill the parasite within perry as well as the plant that happened to be a sentient creature that was living on his property that gave him the fruit that made him uh evil so that's body counts for both supergirl and superman killing sentient creatures with white kryptonite um those are two dings right there 
Uh, I think that's like the f- the first ding for Supergirl. I'd believe it. That is her first misguided murder. <laughs> uh, Superman, number 147, August 1961. Superman lures out a gang. Uh, again, a, a Perry White story. Uh, using Perry White, who is pretending to be a supervillain. And then they arrest them. Uh, a lot of a lot of Perry White action going on here in these in this in this like six month period here. Uh, and it's crypt- the exact same story as uh, what was it? The Red Knight. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Black Knight. Black Knight. I think it's the exact same story, except not Golden Age, because that was the Golden Age. Poof! Wow. Yeah. I guess. Uh, and or at least know, early Silver. You know, uh, one or the other. Yeah, and you know what? I bet. I bet this is the same writer. I bet you. I, I bet this is another Siegel joint. I bet you it is. The second story in Superman 147. Crypto has an adventure in the past with Titano, the giant super ape that was made large by Kryptonite. And Crypto is kind of a dick to Titano in the story. And then they kind of become friends. And then he leaves him alone because Titano's in the past. Um, here's a new one. Third story in Superman 147. The Legion of Supervillains. Does that sound like something you know? Helps Luthor fight Superman, but the Legion of Superheroes, there we go, uh, come to turn Saturn Queen, the e- evil version of Saturn Girl, who is now Saturn Woman. Uh, they turn her, they turn Saturn Queen good and defeat the villains. So the Legion of Super Villains is adult versions of the Legion of Superheroes, but with monarchial and or large bombastic titles of their names so lightning king um saturn queen instead of lightning lad saturn and girl um because now since superman has grown up so is a legion of superheroes and lightning lad is now lightning man and saturn girl is now saturn woman so (laughs) i don't know like it's kind of kind of lazy not really surprising but also like Kind of an interesting story that like they had a, a, a face to heel turn or heel to heel to face turn for for one of these villains, and the Legion of Super Villains will return in different forms in one other um, one other story here. Uh, next is the Superman Annual number three, just a bunch of reprints, but with a map of the Fortress of Solitude where we see all the weird rooms that are in the Fortress of Solitude. It's got a room for Superman where he has statues of himself a uh, room for batman and robin where he has statues of batman and robin a room of uh the daily planet where he's got statues of perry white lois jimmy and also clark kent um it's kind of like you know the hall of presidents but superman's house <laughs> so it's kind of weird um and on the back there's just a big picture signed your pal superman that I'm sure kids cut out and put on their walls. Action Comics number 279, August 1961. This is the first of two imaginary, never happened, just kidding stories. So the start of the story straight up says, this is a fake tale that didn't happen. To which, again, it's that Jonathan Frakes me. Nope, we made it up. Not true. False. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I still haven't watched that. God, it's so funny. I'm going to have to send that to you when we stop recording. Um, but it's... The the editors straight up say this this never happened. But also check out how weird and wacky this is. So the whole story is Superman brings Hercules and Samson, the famous Greek heroes and ancient heroes of old, um, to the present because 
Lana Lang and Lois Lane are tired of pursuing Superman. And he, and they're like, boy, if there were any strong men, we'd date them and marry them. She's so like, we'll see about that. Brings these two heroes to the future. They marry Lois and Lana. Uh, Samson marries Lana. Hercules marries Lois. This is kind of not really important, but it's worth it just to know the pairing. Um, and the women proceed to just make life living hell for these men. Um, not on purpose. Not out of spite. Not out of like, we're going to fuck with these guys' heads. But they just reveal that they're just kind of not nice people. It's a very Victorian stereotypes. Yeah, it, suburban 40s housewife. It's it's gross. It's gross is what yeah. it is. Like Lois is like, I don't like where our house is. Uh, Samson or Hercules, can you move it? And he picks the whole house up and they spend like hours trying to place the house down. And he's tired. Um, Lana's like, oh, I want us to have privacy. Can you build a huge fence? And, you know, Samson builds the fence, but the fence is too high. And now they need shade. And now that's too much shade. It's really stupid. And then the, the men are like, get us the fuck out of here. And Superman's like, all right. And then puts them back in the past. And the ladies are like, well, they just weren't, you know, good enough for us, Superman. Only you're good enough. And then they resume, they resume catfighting over it him. It literally ends in a hair-pulling catfight. It's gross. It's very gross, and I don't like it. Um, be better. Don't don't write that shit. I still um, I maintain like one of my rules is any story that can be summarized by I roll dames is a bad story. Yeah. It, the I think the equivalent now is bitches be crazy. Yeah. That, that is the, yeah. the modern equivalent of dames. Am I right? Is bitches be crazy? And anything that can be summed up in that is stupid, and you're bad at writing. Action Comics number two eighty, September nineteen sixty one. Brainiac returns. Hey, this is okay. I had to Google this because I was really confused. Um, this is the third canonical appearance of Brainiac, by the way. Um, the first one was when he tried to shrink the cities on Earth, and then they did the whole thing with Kandor. The second one was um, the one that we covered in our last episode, where he's he's like, I'm back, and also I have an entirely different outfit and nodes on my head, and I've got different kryptonite rays and i was like oh and then he just kind of like fucks off i lied i misread that superman throws him into the past and he's like that'll t- that'll teach you and i'm like that seems ominous and so we <laughs> pick up we pick up from that point now brainiac is effectively like is thought out by time and starts to time travel back to the present meets this is a really dumb nonsensical portion finds like an interstellar prison where a bunch of people try to make cases for him to help them break out and promptly, promptly ignores them. That's at least two pages of this comic. Two and a half. Two and a yeah. half pages of this are completely wasted, except for yeah. a third of a page gag at the end that didn't need anywhere near that much page. I am angry yeah. about this. Yeah, it's very bad. Um, they, like All these villains are like, please free us, we'll team up with you. And he's like, fuck that shit, I'm way too cool. Goes to Earth proceeds to get his butt kicked you know why because he tangled with fucking congo bill at Congorilla. yeah yeah that shit's happening remember how action comics had congo bill and Congorilla in them because we talked about it once we made lots of jokes about it they appear in this issue and they save superman so congo bill you know we didn't really talk about this congo bill is a explorer man who's got a fancy ring 
that he gave to a gorilla that if he rubs the ring on his hand, he his consciousness then gets transferred into the gorilla's body and he can be the gorilla. Meanwhile, the gorilla's consciousness is transferred into his body. And I guess the normal man starts acting like a gorilla. He says that he's found a way around this by taking a bunch of sleeping pills before he rubs the ring so that he drugs the ape consciousness when he turn when he changes when he changes bodies. So the, the gorilla just sleeps in his body and he goes out and does gorilla stuff with his human brain. Um, we get a brief summary of that from Superman. And uh, Congo Bill sees Superman fighting Brainiac in the Congolese jungle and turns into Congorilla and they beat the hell out of Brainiac and Brainiac is thwarted and we have this little like, wow, hey, like two stories are crossing in this one issue of of Action Comics. Who knew? Who knew I needed this? And and thank you. This was the best issue. This is the best story because it had Congo Bill in it. It was a good like surprise. Like, because... <laughs> It, I didn't understand what was going on with the gorilla for a little bit, and then I put it together, and oh shit, that's Congorilla. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, and then Brainiac is thrust into the interstellar jail, and then another villain flies by, and Brainiac makes overtures to get the villain to free him, much like the others did to him. And that guy's like, fuck all that shit, I'm too cool, and leaves, and Brainiac feels the sting of rejection and irony. Uh, and I want to like take a minute to go back, because... I. I just got spun back right back up. Uh, they spend two and a half pages specifically like showing off the powers and origin stories of like five different guys. Like one yeah. dude can like stretch himself in or could stretch himself in weird ways and then like got frozen by a space cop in a weird shape. It it's just there's a lot of care and attention paid for something that the writers explicitly say doesn't matter. Superman number 148, September 1961. Uh, a man with an Achilles theme basically says, like, I was dipped in a magical pool by my mother while she was holding my foot and now I'm invincible. Um, basically fights Superman and they find out that really he's not invincible. He's just got a super hyper magnet in this, like, clunky lead footwear piece that he wears that to protect his quote-unquote Achilles heel he's just some dude dressed like Achilles that's it that's the whole bit um this is also kind of a fun story the second story at Superman number 148 Mr. Mixius Pitalik changes his name uh completely and legally in the fifth dimension but only for 75 days because that's how long name changes last I, I guess and um he goes to earth to annoy Superman and Superman's like uh I'm going to make you say your name backwards. And he's like, go ahead. And Superman's like, Jesus. All right, take it easy. And so he makes him say his name backwards. And it doesn't work, obviously, because he's changed his name legally. And Superman's flummoxed. But I like the way that he actually gets him to say his name backwards. He gets the Kandorians to pretend to make like a puppet Mixiospitalik happen and accuse the the real Mixiospitalik of being a fake. And then the fake Mixiospitalix is like, see, I'm the real one. I'll disappear if I say my name backwards. And says his name backwards, and they make him disappear. And the real Mixiospitalix is like, that's bullshit. I'm the real one. Watch, I'll disappear. Says his name backwards, and then realizes that he just got played. And his name change won't last the full length of time that he's... Ba- banned from Earth because the banning from Earth after he says his name backwards is 90 days and the name change only lasts 75. 
so he gets screwed but i love the idea of like mixius pitalik being like yeah i got you now bitch and you're like all right crazy (laughs) chill out your your most your most terrible thing that you do in this story is give convicts superman powers which is admittedly awful but before that you were filling the entirety of metropolis with sneezing powder so don't act (laughs) like you know you're a big deal um i I gotta call some two things out here first is like the there's a moment of extreme body horror when the the Kandorian super squad, uh, emergency super squad, breaks out of the robot that uh, version of Mister Mixispitalik, uh, it's just like suddenly Mister this robot that looks like Mister Mixispitalik just comes apart, yeah, and small <laughs> supermen come pouring out. Um. The final story in Superman number 148. Superman is threatened with tax evasion, which is just the dumbest story because it leads to Superman getting a bunch of treasure, which then gets destroyed by a matter eater alien. And then he goes to the the guy who's going to put him away for tax evasion. And then that guy's boss is like, stop it, Jeff. Like Superman, he goes like Superman has more dependents than anyone on the planet. He goes like, what are you talking about? He's like, he takes care of the entire friggin' world, man. Like, we're all his dependents, and if you get, you know, so much money off for your dependents, he would have, like, negative seven billion taxes to pay. We would owe him. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, sorry, I thought you were a tax evader, Superman. And Superman's like, I give literally all the money I get away. <laughs> like, how could you, how could you even think I was evading taxes? What is wrong with you? And he even states he does Clark Kent's taxes. Like, like when he's flying around, he's like, good thing I did Clark's taxes. And I was like, good. Yeah, of course you would. You know, like you, you know, button down, lace up guy. <laughs> um, we're going to go to Action Comics number 281, October 1961. Superman fights a guy using Kryptonian tech to teleport from one point of the country to another. Basically, he commits a crime in New York, teleports to Los Angeles, gets arrested for a crime in Los Angeles. And they're like, this can't possibly be the guy who committed a crime in New York. He's all the way in L.A. And... To figure out how this is happening, Superman meets a doctor who was in contact with his parents before Krypton exploded. And the guy was like, I used to teleport to Krypton to help your father out with stuff. And I even saved you from a snake bite when you were a kid. But like, uh, somebody stole my teleportation information and now this guy must have it. So I guess that's like my bad. And Superman captures the teleporter, and he's like, also, like, thanks for being a doctor when I was a child and saving me from a snake bite. And he's like, it's cool. We're never going to talk about this again. I'm unimportant. And it was never mentioned again. <laughs> it was yeah. it's never brought up ever again. This man who worked with his father, who lives on Earth, who, who he could presumably ask questions about <laughs> regarding Jor-El and Lara... Never, never see him again. Um, We're going to go to Superman number 149, November 1961. Another imaginary story that takes up way too much time. This imaginary story is Lex Luthor defeating Superman by lulling him into a false sense of security and making him think that he's gone, you know, to the side of the angels. And then killing him. And then Supergirl arrests him, puts him on trial in Kandor for killing a Kryptonian citizen because Kandor is the last bastion of Krypton justice and the Kandorians just put him in the Phantom Zone. 
Because Luther's like, I'm going to talk my way out of this, blah, blah, blah. It'll be funny. Watch. And then when they're about to put him in the Phantom Zone, he's like, if you don't want to do that, I'm the only person who can make you big again. They're like, we don't care. Put him in the Phantom Zone. And he's like, wait, what? And then they put him in the Phantom Zone. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. And then the, the editor's note is like, don't worry, readers. This didn't really happen. And I'm like, yeah, Superman died. Probably didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. It's honestly the thing that bugged me the most about it is beyond the twists, everything is completely predictable. Uh, Okay, Luther was bad all along and betrayed Superman. Great. And then nothing interesting came out of it. It's just, oh, it's a kryptonite trap. Uh, Oh, the Kandorians are honorable and they're going to see justice through, even if it means they don't get big. Okay. There's I'm surprised you went from zero to Phantom Zone that quickly, though. That was mm. impressive. <laughs> Accurate. But, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of these stories, for all that they rely on twists for or twists or gimmicks as the thing that's like, oh, this is what sells the story, they're not creative. Nope. It's just kind of, okay, well, guess Lex Luthor's good. Nope, he's evil. All right. Tell me something yep, yep. interesting about it. There's nothing there. Yep. Uh, we've only got two more issues of Action Comics to cover, so we're going to go Action Comics number 282 in November 1961. Superman goes about a busy day while one of the Superman robots goes on a date with Lois Lane, and Superman basically has to help the lo- the Superman robot cover and not get found out as being a robot. It seems like it might have been more prudent for him to just go on the date with Lois and then do the rest of the crap he was doing, but whatever, I guess, you know, priorities. Action Comics number 283, December 1961, last issue we're covering. Members of the Legion of Super Outlaws, or is this the the Legion of Super Villains? I don't know. Maybe they changed their name because they thought Legion of Super Villains was a little too on the nose. Um, they try to kill Superman with a red kryptonite trap, but huh, joke's on you, bitches. They get, this version of red kryptonite gives him three awesome side effects. Uh, instead of being terrible hallucinations, nightmare dreams, or giving him, I don't know, a third eye or something, he gets like the wishing powers or the ability to conjure people out of nothing. It's, it's kind of bizarre. So for the first time in recorded history of Superman comics, Superman gets really cool side effects from red kryptonite. And that is the last story that we covered today. Not a not a whole lot of fancy schmancy stuff or like really cool things, but I did like the little things of like Superman's a citizen of the world. And also like Jorel was a climate change predictor, kind of. Mm. <laughs> um, he's like, the planet's gonna blow up, and everyone's like, eh, shut up, Jorel. And he's like, the planet's blowing up. And they're like, why didn't we listen to you? And everyone dies. Um, it's it's very strange. But yeah, it, because we read through Supergirl, we kind of know there was not going to be a lot of status quo change here except for the end of that era where Supergirl is, is made a, you know, a visible presence and not his secret weapon. Frankly, Supergirl's arc from 61 to 62 is better the the amount of supergirl that we read shows the consistent evolution of the character leading up to an actual character change wherein she is now with the danvers family and she's also more known 
and has like boyfriends and there's kind of an overarching a plot and she's fighting for the recognition from superman superman comics are just like what are we gonna fuck with today Mm -hmm. are we gonna tell you a fake story are we gonna show you the inside of luther's lair are we gonna show you a picture of the you know krypton are we going to show you superman's entire life story again that doesn't seem they don't seem to know what they're doing with him but every new character seems to have some sort of trajectory some kind of uh motivating goal something unfulfilled yeah yeah fundamentally these just aren't good some are bad some are less not good but i don't think any of these stories were actually good i think some of them had moments like congorilla i think you're right that's the story that's as good as it gets but really that's kind of the one thing that sells that story yeah and and yeah it's it's the best of a bad bunch because of novelty yeah it's not it's not because it's particularly well crafted it's like holy shit congorilla and i think that's (laughs) that hits on something right there like i think the majority of these stories are trying to sell themselves on some kind of uh, novelty. Uh, so many like dream stories, uh, things like that. And they're not novel enough. Yeah, I definitely agree. Same deal with uh, Luther's lair. It's just like, of course he has an inversion of uh, Superman's like family and friends wax statue room. And of course it's those four like supervillains of history, more or less. It's, give me something interesting like have some random some someone who stands out as oh why that well here's the specific thing that reveals something about myself no we just instead we just get attila kid uh capone and con they're they're easy easy targets to make him look bad by picking notorious villains Mm -hmm. you know it could have been like ah a picture of my favorite scientist who like it could have been a made-up character like yeah or carnegie mellon like you have this industrial baron who winds up being thought of as one of the great philanthropists of the age because as he was coming down towards the end of his life was like uh maybe i need to maybe i need to buy something that makes me look good and proceeded to buy everything to make himself look good. Uh, that would that would resonate a little bit. That would be something more interesting than this. It's also very clear that because he doesn't have a true arch enemy, like we've got Luthor, and that's fine and and good and all, but it's it's very obvious that he doesn't have a true antagonist. Yep. And without it, he's just bringing people from the past into the future to date the women who love him apart from making sure that lois and lana don't discover his secret identity um he's not doing anything that is of any importance because nothing is a challenge for him most of these superman stories are closer to archie than to like superman stories yeah the the bar that has been set by flash green lantern um, is a little bit higher for what our superhero story should be. Because, I mean, like, the Hawks aren't dealing with a lot of the same characters, but they had, like, the guy who was, like, the shapeshifter um, showing up a couple times. But still, they are doing... They're doing heroic deeds. Superman building an orphanage, finding enough money from a, tr- a sunken treasure, etc. Um, 
those are chores. They're not fantastic feats because he does them all the time. Mm -hmm. The novelty of those amazing things that he's done has worn off, so it's not impressive anymore. And I think that's the problem, is that he's not doing anything mundane or bigger than what he's currently doing to really give us a sense of how important is this. So... We talked about the I Roll Dames story. Um, th- there are a bunch of stories in here that are just make you look askance and say, you, you, you got some issues there, buddy. Uh, uh, that ain't it, Chief, kind of moment to, yeah. is the one that I've seen around Twitter these days that I kind of like. Um, such as this exact phrase, I believe I'm quoting verbatim, it's known that scouts who expected to be tortured by Indians hypnotized themselves in advance so that they wouldn't oh, feel yeah. pain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. I remember and, that. Oh, man. Like, that's just loaded. There's he a, did that when he was expecting to be exposed to kryptonite, by the way. Yep. He, he thought someone was going to expose him to kryptonite, so he hypnotized him to himself so that he could not feel and not react to the pain of being exposed to kryptonite. There's the pan- the one where they go after Brainiac, uh, and they're in the Congo jungle. They specifically mention the fr- uh, that they're being sent out to cover a native uprising, was the term that they used. They were going to the Congo in 1961 to cover a native uprising. Folks, that's the aftermath of the independ- the independence of... Uh, then the, uh, I think it's the Republic of Congo, which was a simultaneously a proxy war, uh, as part of the cold war. It was a many sided, uh, civil war. It, and also proxying with the, the after effects and continuing of Belgium's, uh, colonial, uh, interference in the Congo a hundred thousand people wound up dying in that six-year span. We don't call that a native uprising. We call that a civil war. Like that's a very specific connotation with native uprising. Yeah, native uprising has a lot of imagery evoked and attached to it. Yep. And oh god, and this is one of those panels that made me just lose so much respect for uh, Jerry Siegel's writing. So. It's when the do- the professor is back in time and on Krypton. And Superman, as a little boy, so not Superboy, but like Super Baby, gets bitten by like a space eel that is going to poison him. And then Jor-El goes to help him and along the way gets stung, like electric eeled by the uh, snake as well. <laughs> yeah. And... This is the verbatim what he's saying is, Gasp! The electric fish has touched my body. The shock will leave my limbs temporarily paralyzed. Now my son will die. And it... Holy exposition, Batman. It's even more than that. It's it's the worst <laughs> kind of selling it to the cheap seats. And I just... All I have... Yeah. All I can say about this is, Siegel, please... Feel something other than your own self-satisfied smugness at your own wit. Hey, man. He's going through that fucking 
dispute about whether or not he was getting back pay from Superman. I mean, there is that. I'll, that's fair. Like, admittedly, he the, could not have given a shit about any of this. <laughs> I don't own it. I don't care. Uh, this is a little interesting. So, the mail columns at this time are receiving and publishing a bunch of story ideas. And they say things like, that's a good idea. Like, keep an eye on future stories. We're going to tell a story like that. And they're pretty specific stories, like, or ideas relative to, like, the complexity of the stories. They're basically just like, and this is the one where this happens. And, yeah, they do that. Compare that to these days where no one, like, in that position wants to listen to unsolicited ideas because you can get your ass sued off if you use it, even accidentally. And it, I don't know if, like, copyright rule is was different at this point or uh, if it was being enforced differently or what. But it's really fascinating that you have this very different style of taking stories from, from readers versus actively trying to dissuade them. Uh, let's see, what else do we got? Um, this is a dumb thing that bugged me. It might just be that the writing was a little sloppy, but... The story about Clark's day off, or the the day in the life of Superman story, it it starts with uh, Clark has his day off, like, and Perry comments on this. Specifically, like, Perry is saying, today is your day off. For some reason, Clark goes into the office before as part yeah. of his day off. Like, oh my god, you're right. Like, I. It's inconsequential enough to the story that, first off, you wonder why that moment's there, besides, like, saying that, okay, it's your day off. Uh, but it could have just as easily been Perry saying, like, hey, tomorrow's your day off, right? Or something like yeah. that. This is it's just... also us, though, so we're going to point that yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. But you're right. You're correct on that score. Um, more broadly, talking about that issue, a thing that interests me about this is i feel like we've seen this story a lot or rather better versions of this story the the day in the life of superman story the montage of him going from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis and being there for everyone uh being ever vigilant it's the same structure as in all-star superman which has that panel of i think it's all-star superman number 10 but i might be wrong on that uh there's the page where he shows up just as someone's about to jump off a building and convinces her uh convinces them uh regan i think is the name uh not to jump and that that is the structure of that story it is going through uh this Superman handles this thing. The uh, the Superman robot is on the date. Superman handles this thing. Superman robot loses his hands. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, just that kind of all over thing. And it even ends with like the traditional kind of stinger of uh, some kind of thing of in even in the quiet, like something emotional. And in this case, like they lean in a little bit of a different direction. Um, so first off, like I can't think of any other instances where this story has this story structure has happened, but it sure feels like I've seen this story a lot of the day in the life of Superman. Second off, mm-hmm. uh, I think the big difference between this and the All Star Superman structure is that the closer in All Star Superman is specifically both playing up the. You can either end the story, like tie the story together as he's even more of a hero than we think, or he's even more human. And in the case of All-Star Superman, it's the even 
it's more the human side because the linchpin of that story is he thinks it's going to be one of his last days uh, and he's trying to get everything done in addition to everything else that normally happens. But also it ends with uh, basically like a parallel universe where Superman never exists and someone creates Superman. It's basically like Siegel and Schuster just uh, showing a panel of them coming up with the idea and it's that simultaneously human and awe mm. at his heroism kind of thing, where it's both, here's someone who is so much larger than life, but he's also very mortal and very focused on how can I resolve things for the people in my life as well as I can. Compare that to this story, which ends with uh, uh, the city is going to sleep. But even though the city's sleeping, Superman is still there protecting them. It's... It's the distance and putting Superman on the pedestal instead of the moment of Superman just kind of looking at you, Riley, and saying, I got 30 seconds and I want to be here with you right now. But a train just derailed and I need to go like that. The moments of like the wry smile is sort of what I think of when I think of emotional intimacy with Superman when he's still being a hero, but he is. He's still also Superman, but also yeah, he's trying, trying his best to regardless of whatever yeah. that means. But you know, he's he's trying to be there with you, but he also knows that yep. he's the only person that can save those people's lives. He's hoping you understand. S- Superman tries and mostly succeeds at having a sit-down dinner and saving the day. Spider-Man right. has to choose saving the day. And the people in Superman's life understand that, honestly, I think that's one of the reasons that Superman being, uh, not having a secret identity from Lois, from Mon Pa Kent is so important in the modern, I can't even say the modern era because I don't know the current status, but in like the 90s, 2000s era idea of Superman that's encapsulated in like the cartoons and such, it's important because they need to know he's trying right. as best as he can. And that's and that's where the struggle comes from. It's not from them getting down on him. It's from him getting down on himself. Because he, the only people he feels that he fails, that's where he feels like he's letting people down. And I think mm-hmm. that's where we show the humanness is that it's... He has fear of missing out. He has fear of not being enough, not being good enough for the people that he loves. It's not about not being able to save the day. He he's confident he can do that. That's probably one of his biggest flaws. Is he's like, I know I can save that train or that ship or that, you know, those people from the bank robbery. It's will I will I make a will I give Lois a good enough birthday? Will I be able to to visit Ma and Pa Kent and help him around the farm? Will I be able to be present enough to have this fun time with Jimmy and to enjoy my friendship with him? Those are the things that bother him and that show that he's a man, that he's a a normal person like everyone else. And that's what I've always liked about Superman as a character is he's the nicest guy in the world, but he's so worried he's not doing a good job. So that's a little interesting because I don't know that the worrying is as integral to my vision of Superman. I think it's a priority I don't see the worrying as integral, but that's interesting that we have di- we have different visions on that. Is you know we, you know did, Dad you know did I help you out enough around the farm? He's like, of course, Clark. You plowed the entire field 
in 10 seconds. Of course you helped. And he's like, I just want to make sure that like I did everything I could. I think that might be the difference between how Superman in those situations is versus like the archetypal version of Spider-Man. Spider-Man needs reassurance on a like kind of desperate level. Whereas Superman. Yeah. He, it, mm-hmm. Like in Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when he's like, am I doing it right, Mr. Stark? Like, am I helping enough people? You know, you know, that's that's the Spider-Man I think you and I are talking about versus Superman's like, I know I'm saving people's lives. It's the being human part that he's not sure he's doing right. Mm -hmm. I think not sure is a good encapsulation of that. It's that level of uncertainty where it's not like you're afraid, but you're not sure. Yeah. And you want to correct it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since uh, he's doing the secret identity of making Clark so bad. Mm-hmm. When he's actually with someone that he's not being quote unquote Clark Kent. When he's with someone where he's being Cal. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a person who can do super things, but mundane things super. I think to me there's there's three versions of yeah. that entity. It's Superman, which is everybody's dad with superpowers. It's like the the bumbling reporter. And then there's Kal-El, who is the mix. The very doting boyfriend, the eager son to help take care of his parents, but also the person mm-hmm. that like if their friend if his friends come to him going like, you know, Cal, I don't know if I'm doing this right. It's okay, Barry. You're doing your best. You know, he's he's that he's the re- he's the rock for his friends that they can like all like lean on for support. But when it comes to his own life, he's just trying to make sure that he's he's doing a good job. He's trying to give as much back as he can. And it fascinates me. And I I this is going to keep coming up because we're going to keep going with these characters and having these kinds of discussions. It fascinates me that you call that persona Cal-El, appending the Kryptonian name, which is technically his true name. But for whatever reason, I always think of that version as Clark. And it's interesting to view that through the lens of more Kryptonian or more human. And that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's to me the version that is the his truest self yes oh, he's yeah. not den- he's not denying who he is but just because he's cal l it doesn't mean that he's not from kansas mm-hmm. yeah and i think that to me is how it is it's it's he's just like no this is who i am but also like i go to church on sundays with my parents kansas l yeah exactly um and i think that's just why i like that it's it's the because he when he's with supergirl in certain comics or certain cartoons she calls him cal yeah uh, so that's interesting but on the other side you have like lois calling him clark uh and i guess that it, honestly it might be a difference of which what media you came up and you grew up with versus what i grew up with that cemented like those kinds of personal conversations might just be that uh little fun fact uh so years and years and years after the stuff that we read uh, in the fifth issue of all-star superman the trial of Lex Luthor begins with the judge saying that Luthor admires Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Al Capone, and Hitler. Yep. So it's kind of cool that they had that callback. Little, little, little Easter egg. 
Was, I think uh, Grant Morrison wrote those, so it seems like the kind of thing that Morrison would. That would be the kind of thing that callback. Morrison <laughs> would remember and call back. Yeah. And that's pretty much the extent of my notes on there. Nice. Oh, oh, callback. Uh, I, there, the thing that I couldn't remember that really stuck with me and annoyed me about uh, handling of racial diversity in one of these stories, uh, or more accurately, just being being racist uh the one where superman has the time machine and he goes and he saves custer Mm. and he doesn't do anything about Mm -hmm. wounded knee it's just like okay you're gonna do one thing related to native american and anglo relations and that's what you're going to yeah, do. Yeah, he he did very definitely do a lot of American history saving and not a lot of cultural history saving. Because, like, you know, he didn't stop Hitler. Yeah. Well, that one makes sense to me to a degree because they chose not to engage with that. Right. Which but... just surprises me that they chose to engage with Custer. I guess it might be that Custer was just a less loaded idea then than it was now yeah but you know it's just one of those things where i mean siegel and schuster fought in the war yeah yeah you don't think that they yeah. would have like been like no superman's gonna stop hitler from being a thing like they were both jewish men who fought in the war and they they yeah. chose to do the wounded knee thing i don't know it's 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 relative. It's obviously a very white version of history that he oh, yeah. saves. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Shall we transition over to uh, recommendations? Yeah, sure. Why don't you go ahead first? So I got back uh, on Sunday from Hawaii. So first off, I mean, Hawaii. Uh, uh, one of my grandmas lives out there. So we go over there every year and a half or so. But what I'm specifically going to recommend this time, if you're on an island that has it, uh, swim with manta rays. It's really cool. Oh, cool. Um, I thought, oh, this recently just happened on uh, the Xbox Marketplace. I don't know why they were. I don't know if this was just a promotion or they had just recently did this. Both Knights of the Old Republic 1 and Knights of the Old Republic 2 are backwards compatible on Xbox One. Huh. And you can buy them on the Xbox Marketplace. They were like five bucks each. That is a fucking steal for two of the best Star Wars games that were ever created. Um, you know what? It was probably for May 4th. That is probably true. Um, however, you should go get those games. Um, I think that'll do it for this episode. Next up, we're going we're gonna to take a dip. We're going to go hang out with Aquaman for a little bit. It's been some time. We haven't seen our Finny friends in Aqua House for quite some time. Um, and we're going to go back back to the ocean, my least favorite place. Uh, hopefully, I don't drown, but I guarantee it'll <laughs> probably be fun. So we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Dodging Luthor, Brainiac, and Mixius Pitalik was all well and good, but it seemed as if the Man of Steel was bored, floundering for things to accomplish with his mighty skills. While we left him to spin endlessly in a mire of repetition, we set our sights on Atlantis, 
where Lori Lamaris had given us an idea to see some old friends. <laughs> 